0: Hey, we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge Better understanding and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each
1: show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor please like, share, and follow. Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed.
0: Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. And this episode, we have Mark Abraham with a focus on what success looks like, especially for male students of color and how we really can support them through their entire education up and through graduation. Welcome to the show, Dr. Abraham. We are thrilled you are here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here also. Absolutely. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Mark?
1: Sure thing, Joe, thanks for that. Dr. Abraham is a transformational leader With a wealth of experience in urban education. He's committed to providing a world-class education experience that ensures that all students achieve their goals of post-secondary college and fulfilling careers. His mission has been to create environments that assist students to reach their maximum potential in life. With more than 10 years of experience in education, he currently serves as the principal of McKinley High School. He successfully oversees the daily workings of the largest CTE school in Buffalo, which is the second largest urban school district in New York. At McKinley, he has shown success by increasing graduation rates, decreasing negative behaviors within the school, raising teacher expectations, providing instructional focus to the schools, and increasing parental involvement. All things we're going to talk about today. Mark's school has been recognized as New York School's Black Male Graduation Rate Model School and- New York School's CTE model school. He was named Principal of the Year in 2018 and established the first Buffalo Urban Teacher Academy. Okay, Mark, we're thrilled to have you on the show. We're going to jump right in. You wrote a book called What Success Looks Like, Increasing Graduation Rates Among Males of Color. The first place we want to start here is for you to tell us a
2: bit about why you wrote this book and what it means to you. Yeah, thank you. And and one correction, I'm no longer the principal of McKinley High School. All Everything else is true. I'm currently president of MEA Consulting Services, LLC. And what we do is we work with teachers and administrators and board members, and we show them how to increase student performance and turn their schools around when they're failing or when they're struggling. So why I wrote the book, if you didn't know, Black males and brown males have the lowest graduation rates in the country. Black males are graduating high school at about 59%, where their white counterparts are graduating high school at around 81% nationally. When you look at big urban school districts, you know, the, the Miami's, the Broward counties, the New York Cities, the Baltimores, those graduation rates significantly decrease. And for what I know experientially, through my friends and through parents that I've had to work with, is that when black and brown males do not graduate high school, statistically and experientially, I know this, they end up either in modern day slavery, which is a prison system, or they end up getting killed in the streets. And as an educator, What I was able to do as a principal is take a graduation rate for about 60% and turn it to and move it to 87%, but 94% for black males, one of the highest in the country. I ran an urban school that had about 1,200 students, but I felt it to be unnatural. It's not a natural thing when you have to go to a funeral, a mother is burying a son, knowing that there's strategies that we can put in place. So really I said, hey, I've done it, I researched it, I lived it, so let me put it in a book and let me show educators how to do it because seemingly this is the area that most people, when you look at their data, they're struggling with around the country. So that that's a little bit of my why for the reason I write this book. So Dr. Abraham, I think you'll find
0: exactly similar circumstances here in Delaware, across similar across the nation. Can we dig into some of those strategies? What have you found to be very successful? The listeners on this call ultimately are practitioners. They want to turn around precisely what you say in action. What are some things they can do tomorrow to
2: start helping, supporting, and capitalizing on what they're already doing? Number one, I'll say, most importantly, buy the book. I mean, that's number one. <laughs> okay. Number two, there's two things that I talk about with educators, especially when I'm coaching them around the country. When we say Black, because I, I, I just got to you know, get to a frame of reference. When we say Black, I want people to understand my bill deals with culture, not race. It, it, culture of children and not making assumptions because when you folks look at me my brown skin there's a preconceived notion to say he's african-american but i say black because black includes everyone in the africana diaspora that means the reason why i'm saying that is because as a black man you don't know this but i speak three languages i speak english my family is from haiti so i speak creole and I speak Ebonics. You got to know all of these. So one thing is important is that when you see me, you have to understand my culture. So as a principle, we can't make sweeping ideas of children based off of the color of their skin. If this is making sense, just everybody nod their hands and is it, okay. So when you see a Black child, if you just make the, the, the process that says, hey, that child is just African American, and you don't say, Well, that kid is Bahamian, or that kid is Haitian, or that kid is X, Y, and Z. And you don't take the time to understand the paradigm that they're walking into your building with. So, most importantly, I call this creating a culture of love, but also it's creating a culture of understanding for children who walk into your building. So, when children walk into your building, it's imperative that you take the time to figure out who you have in your building beyond the mask that they're wearing and not just the physical mask to keep them from COVID, but the also the cold switching mask that they have to wear just to feel comfortable in the school building. That's number one. Number two, I tell people this all the time, it's imperative and this is what I did when I took over the to school and we're being faced with a state takeover and this is why I coach principals all the time. Number one, you have to have a clear understanding of your data. Right, Most principals, if I ask you right now, what's your data? Most people can tell me their graduation rate data. They can tell me possibly their attendance data. But what I wanted to understand is I wanted to understand all the data sets in my building. I want to know the graduation rate, but not graduation rate just for the year that we were in, but I want to know graduation rates for the last three years. I want to know attendance rate, but not just the year that we were in, but in the last three years, broken down by month. I want to know course passing data. I want to know course passing data, not for the time that we're in, but the course passing data. I want to know state assessment data. I want to know teacher attendance data. Why is teacher attendance data important? Because when you are in a school that has a negative culture where teachers don't want to be here, they always use all their sick time and all their vacation time. I was a Teacher at a bad school, and I was taking smoke breaks, and I didn't even smoke. So, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you understand clearly all the data sets in your building. Because, what does that allow you to do? It allows you to get a clearer picture of what your school and what the deficiencies are, because you can't move forward unless you first locate yourself. So, number one is knowing love and building a culture of love in your building. Within love, you also have to have a culture of data where data drives your decisions, where data drives your conversation. Number two, the second thing you have to do is based off of the data that you have, once you get the abundance of data, you have to start setting high realistic goals based off your data. And basically what I'm doing is, Joe, I'm just walking you through the book. Uh, I, I call this the secret sauce. Now, and I gave the recipe to everybody. So there should be no more failing schools after you read this book. The number two is you set high realistic goals based off your data. When I was a high school principal, what I would do is when I had goals in the building, I will put those goals everywhere in the building. And those goals will be in talked about at every faculty meeting. It will be on the morning announcements when I spoke, they would be in the teacher's cafeteria area. It would be in teacher lounges. It would be in teacher and students' bathrooms. And like when you went to go use the bathroom, all you saw was the goals. It was great reading material. So everyone knew what the goals were, what the directions of where we're going. So if there's any principal that's listening as practitioners, you're listening to this, number one, you got to create a culture of love in the building. A culture where, and we say love, sometimes I think people hear this, now, Joe, cut me off when you want me to stop speaking, because I talk all day. We say, so you want me to stop? I go Just tell me what else you want me to go. You're going to ask me another question. My bad. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll thank you there, Dr. Abram. I think, no, we're captivated by what you're saying. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that goals everywhere is critical, but I'll turn it over to TJ. I'm sure he has a follow-up or wants to get um, potentially even more granular. TJ?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, and we definitely aren't going to cut you off. We want to hear everything that you're willing to share here on the show, but also for our listeners. I th- what, I, what I really like about what you're saying is it transcends the grade configuration, because I think a lot of people think when we talk about high school graduation, that that's a high school problem, and it really starts a lot younger than that in terms of setting students up for success to take those high-level courses, To prepare them for college and career. I wonder if you could kind of talk a little bit about that in terms of the continuum and getting kids ready because you you mentioned it's in your bio and you mentioned also in the book and elsewhere that it is about setting realistic goals but also high expectations for our students so they're ready for their post-secondary experience. What does that look like in terms of what they're doing in high school?
2: Man, that's a that's a that's a great question. That's a loaded question. Let me try to break it down. When I when I say high realistic goals, what I want people to understand is that when you folks read the book, do not read it like some people like to read. Some people like to read backwards to forward or they just like to pick chapters that they like and just know read it from A to Z, right? Because I'm taking you through like steps that build upon each other. So when you talk about setting high realistic goals, I set high realistic goals based off of previous year's data, CJ. So what you're doing is you're looking at your test scores, you're looking at your course passing data goals, you're looking at how many kids are in AP, and then you look at it for three to four years because that gives you a baseline. So when you have that baseline, then you say, okay, I'm here, now I wanna get here. How do I do that, right? One example, if I ask you to, you know, you we hear people in January say ridiculous things. When gym memberships are at its highest, people say things like, you know, I've been eating since September, and now in January, I want to lose 35 pounds. That's high, but it's not realistic, right? What's realistic is saying, where am I? How much weight have I have?" And then let me set a goal of five pounds. And then once I hit five pounds, I get comfortable with five pounds, and I go to 10 pounds, and so on and so on. Does that make sense to you? So when you set high realistic goals in a school it's the same thing. You want to look at what you are and then you want to target and tell teachers like hey, this is the goal and this is where we're going. Principals remember, we have an indirect impact on student achievement. Leadership is so important, but the research says we indirectly increase student achievement. Why, we work through as a principal, we work through our teachers, our school counselors, our school psychologists, even our assistant principals that then get to the students. So when you talk about how do we get kids prepared, number one, you wanna make sure that you're looking at the data. Number two, you wanna look at where your kids are struggling, where your kids are struggling and then provide supports that help them. In New York State, we have Regis exams. Every kid has to pass an exam. Every kid has to pass a state assessment. So what you do is you look at where your kids are performing, um, how they're performing, and then you provide them with actual supports, either academic intervention services, some type of tutoring or mentoring that will support their academics for them to be successful. I hate Zoom because I'm looking at people's faces and I don't know if you're getting it, but you have to like give me some head nods because I keep going deeper and deeper because I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying. So let me let, let me stop there just so we can talk back with each other.
0: So, Dr. Abraham, I do uh, I do think this resonates with people. I think it makes a lot of sense. So we start digging into the data. We don't go, I also hear saying, don't just rest on that initial data set. We got to right. dig further. What is some of the trend data? say people start digging into this, say they start identifying different trends. What do you see as some immediate obstacles and challenges, especially either from staff or some others that administrators will run into that you can you know, really give them advice so as we start digging into this, because this ruffles feathers too. Sometimes the data is not what we've seen. So rather than looking at it like a detective, Unemotionally emotionally at first, because it's our school, because these are our students, we sometimes get wrapped up emotionally as well. What are some challenges and some obstacles that people have to be aware of right away and so they can really get to the, the meat of the work?
2: Yeah, so, you, I mean, yeah, you kind of answered the question inside the question, right? The challenges are people are gonna look at the data and then they're gonna say, oh, oh we're not that bad. Right. We're not as bad as that. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers. You know, we love kids here, you know, and then we go into this whole like explaining all the things that we do, devoid the numbers, right? So then it becomes this whole conversation like, we love kids here. And so those kids and these kids, you know, then we get into all this drama and all this nonsense, right? Because, yeah, so those are the challenges you're going to face, right? But what you have to tell people is that and you might wanna write this down, principals and leaders, you wanna be hard on the data, soft on the person. Hard on the data, soft on the person, meaning we're gonna attack the numbers, but as the people that are doing the work, I'm gonna encourage you and motivate you. What you have to do as a leader is, when you start to build this data back and you start to look at your schools and you start to break your school down scientifically, what you have to do is start to get small wins. Find the places that you can get areas of like little wins. When I was turning my school around, the the department that had the lowest scores in our entire school was our math department. That was the department that I tackled first because I needed to move those regions exams. Once I was able to move those state assessments for that math department and put systems in place to support them, this is, I think, number five, step five, which is allocation of resources. If you say that you have a goal and you say that this is where you want to go, you got to put your money where your mouth is. You see, we can't just say as leaders, hey, we want to do this and we want to go here. Then you don't put resources to support the place that you want to go to. Right. So you have to allocate resources to get there. You have to start with small wins because small wins start to make you confident as a leader and it makes the staff confident in you. The worst thing you want to do is understand your data, set a goal and then you miss that goal or you set a goal and you get in the vicinity, they're going to lose confidence in you. But you want to set high realistic goals goals that are high but goals that are also achievable and then you want to put money and resources to accomplish that goal and then you get laser focus on that but you're going to get people who have anxiety who have worry this is too hard i'm burnt out i'm frustrated you gotta make sure that you don't allow yourself and them to get distracted by the distractions don't get distracted by the white noise and the things that people are going to throw because what's going to happen is once you start to press this lever this is why you get a coach or you get somebody, I don't know what these gentlemen do, but you get people to work with you because what's gonna happen is once you start to press those levers and start to move people, they get agitated and get irritated and not they're frustrated with you as a leader. And then you're gonna see blowback and you're gonna see kids getting kicked out for no reason. And you're gonna see all of these things going back because people don't want to focus themselves on something that they find is strenuous. When I was working on my dissertation, Dr. Thompson, you might be able to talk to this. When I was working on my dissertation, the work was so labor intensive. I'd rather clean my refrigerator than finish that dog on dissertation. It was tough. So, But sometimes when things are tough, you want to disengage. So that's going to happen in your school. When you're trying to work out and you're trying to lose some pounds, what happens? Your body says, I want to eat a honey bun. This is ridiculous. But you got to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing until you ultimately see the results. So you're going to get blowback. You're going to get frustration. But you got to keep with the task at hand, keep going after it every single day.
1: It's a great reminder for the leaders on the call and anybody listening that we have to stay focused. We identify what the problems are and we go after them like Dr. Abraham says, every single day. If we, if we get distracted, we'll easily go a day, a week, a month, and we're not focused on those goals and meeting the needs of our students. I want to switch gears just a little bit and ask some uh, of some of the additional questions that, that Joe and I typically prepare for school leaders to help us in terms of our thinking about how school should be done and how you've brought yourself into this position now helping schools around the country. The first is if you were going to improve the student experience in every school,
2: what would we do? First thing you want to do is a great question. And, and for all the leaders on here, let me tell you this. I didn't get these questions beforehand. So if they give these questions to people beforehand, they got time to think about it. It's, you know, I, this is cold turkey. What I would do is, number one, is we have to take time to listen to the kids. You, you have to put a system in place where student voice is appreciated and is valued. Number one, Number two is once you start to hear their voice and what's important to them, you also have to realize that school should be fun. You don't have, like, I find it so confusing. It's like we want to do work and then we want to have time to play as if they can't happen at the same time. School should be, my model is always work hard and have fun, have fun and work hard. Do them at the same time. Kids should love to come into the building. Here's an acid test on your culture. Do you see kids just lingering around the building all the time and they don't want to leave? You you got something special going. If they don't come to school and they want to just quickly leave out the building, you got something where they don't feel comfortable. So to make school better for kids is you got to hear their voice. School should be fun. It should be that they're working hard, and then we got to raise the expectation. Because when I tell people to create a culture of love, oftentimes they hear something like low expectations. Low expectations mean that you hate children. When you you lower the bar and you let them do anything that they want, that means you don't care about them because you know good and well when they leave out of this building, no one is going to have those low expectations because they won't be successful. So you got to raise the expectations for the children, make them work hard, make them have fun, tell them that you love them, and then raise the bar. Because once they start accomplishing high success, they are prepared for the real world and they're prepared to go out into the real world and conquer anything And that started with a school leader that believed in them, loved them, cared about them, made sure that school was fun, listened to them, and pushed them and challenged them to be great.
0: No, thank you very much wanted to ask you you know have switched roles recently no longer principal you're now in a, a different role for you to feel like you've made a great impact over the next 3 to 5 years what does that look like
2: man man joe that is a great question brother i tell you that is an awesome question and i haven't i haven't really thought about that right my my ultimate vision and i, I i'll share this with you anybody i don't know how many viewers you get but my ultimate vision is that for black and brown males, that graduation rate will mirror their counterparts. Will, we will be able to say that our black males no longer are graduating at 59% or 50%, that they'll start graduating high school at 80, 90, and 100%. Then after that, I think I'll retire. So if it takes three years, then that'd be great. And I'll be on a beach somewhere in Miami or if there's some big consulting companies like really bigger than me that says, "Hey, we want to get in on this work and we want to do this work, go at go at it." But really, that's my that's my uh, impact. Joe is really, and, and I call myself we're like a tailor suit. You know, we're not the we're not the consulting company that you can pull out at Walmart and put on a suit. We we tailor specifically for your school so that it has your name on the inside of it and you feel real good when you put the suit on. So my goal is to change the paradigm in the country, and let people know that you know, when you look at my book, there's just stop right there. You look at my book, I, I have kids that graduated from my high school. All these kids graduated from my high school. And I intentionally didn't put them in suits or cap and gowns. And when you see what success looks like, you see these six young men of color in their clothing, who they are, because I want to change the paradigm. When we see black and brown children, you see success immediately, and you don't look at them from a deficit model, you look at them from an asset model. That's
1: great, Dr. Abram. We are in this work with you. The folks on this call are working towards those same graduation rates, looking at the data. So we're, we're in this work together, and anybody who's listening, we have to lock arms and say, step, we have to move the work forward and keep it the focus. As, as Mark has said before, we always like to ask about other books, books that you read, resources that you find important. Of course, we've, we've bought your book. We're going to give away copies of it. Anybody who doesn't get a copy of it on this call and listening is going to go out and buy it and read it and make sure they put those 10, 10 steps into practice, which I love how you laid that out from the beginning, A to Z, like you said. But is there other resources, other books or other educators who you say you got to follow these people, you got to buy, buy and read this book you have your doctorate, you wrote the dissertation. Can you give us some resources and some go-tos for you?
2: Yeah, so for me, I think reframing organizations by Bowman and Deal, they they, they talk about leadership because it, here's one of the biggest issues that principals and superintendents have in, in their work is that we're only taught to be instructional leaders. And everybody says, hey, you got to be an instructional leader, you got to be an instructional leader. I I promise you, educators, most people do not understand Hallinger's work and what it means to be an instructional leader. There are so many different leadership theoretical frameworks that we need to operate from. But if you're only thinking that you're going to be, and I'm sorry if this messes with your paradigm, if you're only thinking that you're going to be an instructional leader and that's it, You're going to have a difficult time at the secondary level when there's so many complexities. I'm sorry I dropped that at 430, but the reality is you want to understand different leadership theoretical frameworks that you can operate from. So you can operate from Bowman and Deals four frames. You can operate from a culturally proficient leadership model. You can operate from uh, a transformational leadership model, especially when you're running an organization that's so complex like a secondary school or a middle school. So Bowman and Deals, there's a book, I forget the name of it, it's on my, but it's Culturally Proficient Leadership. That is a great book, Culturally Proficient Leadership, because it allows you to also start to look at things from a different paradigm. And the book I love, there's another leadership book I love. I'll tweet it out, DJ. if you guys follow me on, on Twitter, on Instagram, or something, I'll tweet it out so that you can have it. But I spent my whole doctorate degree is in leadership. I love leadership. I love leaders and I love supporting them because it's just when you get that aha moment, it's, it's, it's life changing.
0: Okay, everyone, this is a, a truly important topic. And I would say I'm fortunate to also work with people on this call and others in this state that I think are very much aligned in our thinking I'm trying to have students who are otherwise marginalized in many respects start to see success. I love the goal you mentioned, and I appreciate the resources. Something TJ and I always like to ask as well, though, is there a topic or an idea that you wish someone would spend more time on something like another book that you wish someone would write that you're wrestling with, or you see us wrestling with
2: in education? I, try not to pretend to be a uh, jack of all trade and master of none. I, you know, my, my area of expertise is leadership. And again, what I just said just now about helping school leaders understand different theoretical frameworks is huge. I, I'm, I'm struggling with it because I might write that as my next book because most leaders and it's like trying to put everybody in like a square hole it is like saying everybody, if you ask most educators, they will quickly say they're an instructional leader. But the research does not support that paradigm for school turnaround. And I know this messes people's minds up and I know they they grapple with that, but I also know that when you ask a person what it means to be an instructional leader, most principals will just say, hey, you just you just gotta focus everything on instruction. Hmm. What about the union? What, what about discipline? What about behavior issues? What about the culture? What, right? Like, so then, then, if that's the case, and once you take a professorial role, you're always gonna have that individual that says, Well, did you teach chemistry? Did you teach CTE? You think, right, right. Then now you gotta like backstep and just say, So there's so many other frameworks that a leader can operate from. It can help support them in the work and a framework that might resonate with them as a leader more than this leadership style. But again, I would say for a principal that it, there's a leadership book and it walks you through different leadership styles because you have to know your leadership style. I can't, sometimes I'm working with leaders and they don't understand. So when I say theoretical framework, I'm simply saying, this is the house. That you look at an issue from. So when, when people are arguing critical race theory, and I'm listening to them, and I'm like, you guys don't even understand what that means, and you're arguing it, simply is saying this is the paradigm that I look at the problem from. These are the lenses, like like uh, Joe has glasses on, whatever the brand of those glasses are, that's the lens that he's looking at the work from. So a book that I would say is helping leaders figure out their theoretical framework, a leadership style, so that they can apply it and use it consistently to create success in their building.
1: Mark, that's an awesome place to wrap up in terms of leaders doing kind of a self-inventory, anybody listening here of their own leadership style, their own theoretical framework, how they bring themselves to work, and how they can use those strengths to reimagine school, help students who wouldn't have otherwise maybe graduated, as you've said before on the show here today. I want to ask you this as a final question. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to add for the audience, a request, some parting words?
2: Most times when I'm speaking, I'm going for about two hours, man. See, so this 30 minute thing throw me off, man. I'm trying to get everything. I'm trying to give you guys everything I have in this small moment. I, I would just say it's hard to know anyone else until you know yourself. As a leader, it is so important that one of the biggest skills that you start to practice is the skill of being reflective. Really reflect on your practices, reflect on your culture, reflect on who you are, reflect on your leadership style, reflect on your day. How did I treat a person today? What did I say? Take, take the time to, to do reflection. And, and really, I, I'm so proud of each and every one of you. Like for real, today is Tuesday and it's 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. You could be any place else and you worked a long day. You, you dealt with everything that you had to deal with on a Tuesday and you still decided consistently to come onto this podcast. I am super proud of you and I think that you guys are amazing. Keep up the good fight of faith. Take care of your mental health, folks, and and create a culture that that's important. Create a culture where we say our mental health and our physical and mental well-being is important, and you have to demonstrate that by leadership. Go to the gym. Find opportunities to laugh. Make sure that you're being protective over your diet. Make sure leaders promise me that you take a lunch. I can't take a lunch. It's Take a lunch. Take 30 minutes, take a break. You have to do something for you every single day. If you're not, there was a research study that came out and they during COVID that said about 75% of principals wanted to leave the profession. We can't have that happening. You're important, you're special. I believe in you and I thank you for the work that you're doing.
1: Those are great parting words. It's hard to know anyone else if you don't know yourself. You heard it here first on Focus Ed, Dr. Mark Abraham. We appreciate him. A virtual round of applause, please, from our live audience. You'll hear this after it goes into production as well. If anybody on the call who wants to hear it again, I certainly am going to listen to this one over again. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then... Stay focused. And that's what you heard from Dr. Mark Abram today. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days?
0: What's that, TJ?
1: Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead
0: better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about you know getting a good night's sleep. But you know, do tell how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's
1: part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend. GhostBed, our sponsor, with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and
0: longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a 101-night at-home sleep trial and a two-times-the-industry-standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping...
1: Within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout.
0: Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out ghost bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest.
1: Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code. At ghostbed.com, a hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it, ghostbed.com.